Welcome to the Best of the Lens 2019. I'm Ollie Barrett and it has been a huge pleasure hosting The Lens over the last 12 months. And this is really a festive compilation of some of the best quotes and uh, moments from those 12 months. A few quick thank yous. Firstly to you, our listener, if you're just discovering The Lens or if you've been tuning in throughout, we're really grateful to you for everything that you do to support us. Secondly, to business in the community. That's who we've created this podcast with. To Fujitsu, who power it, and to McCann, who have supported us all the way along our journey. Finally, of course, course to the brilliant guests you'll hear voices as diverse as richard walker running brilliant retailer iceland you'll hear francis o'grady from the trades union congress and leaders of businesses from unilever to google i really hope you enjoy the conversation please keep us posted with your feedback this podcast wouldn't happen without the people tuning in so thank you and do enjoy the best of the lens 2019 Al Major, the founder of Paddle Against Plastic. We have a problem. We do have a problem. Um, all of my campaigns actually focus on the positive solutions that we can be a part of. I think it's really important that we don't just drive the negativity down people's throats um, because that kind of negativity and doom and gloom, is it really turns people off, off these environmental campaigns. However, since you've asked, um, plastic pollution is a massive issue. We all know this now. We've seen all sorts of um, stats in the media and in the news. David Attenborough's done amazing things to highlight the issue. I think the biggest Stat, the one stat that I want to focus on here, which is the one that uh, sort of stands out to me the most as a vet, is that 100,000 marine mammals and over a million seabirds die every year as a result of plastic pollution. I, I think you do have to be careful around using environmentalism to promote your business, mm. but there is the other way of looking at it, which is using your business to protect the environment. And I personally think that it's such a uh, important way to tackle all these environmental crises that we face. I mean, how does the world go around? It goes around because of the economy and because of business. And actually, it needs to be the businesses that are taking hold of these environmental campaigns and doing what they can with passion to tackle them. So, in all honesty, I commend businesses who are doing the right thing. Keith Weed is the global chief marketing officer of one of the world's largest consumer goods companies, Unilever. Well, I'd encourage anyone to do something positive. But actually, in large organizations, or I'd even argue in any organizations, if you have a group of people doing corporate social responsibility, it's sort of like they're doing good stuff to negate all the bad stuff everyone else is doing. Sort of offsetting. Yes. And so my thought was, no, we want to mainstream sustainability. Sustainability is going to be everyone's responsibility in Unilever. And can we create a, a new business model that has social and environmental sustainability at its core as opposed to something you add on, sort of a, a charity. So to what extent would you then encourage all large companies to take such a similar bold move in scrapping that division? Or was there something particular that you felt in the DNA of Unilever and what made it tick that it was the right decision for that organisation? So I think the idea of combining the responsibilities of the people who are driving growth, the marketers, you know, what, what are we trying to do here? We're trying to serve uh, consumers, customers better uh, than the alternative, the competition, and hence your business grows, uh, if you can do that better. Uh, I think you should give the responsibility to those people to actually do a better job. I, I don't think that sustainability or, or, or social responsibility should be an afterthought. Fadia Hossein, who is a lawyer at Clifford Chance, another very significant law firm in the magic circle. I never let them discourage me. And I shall never allow such people to discourage me. And would you put it as bluntly as 
that they did actively discourage you? Oh, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I secured work placements with law firms without being aware that I am visually impaired. And once they were made aware, they contacted me saying, oh, sorry, um, we will put you on our record and we'll contact you. Wow. Wow. Unfortunately, and I can announce basically the name of the Magic Circle firm, I had to go through a test. And um, this is not clear for chance, obviously. Uh, It's called Watson Glacier. And this uh, test basically requires the applicant to complete questions. And the questions will be chosen randomly from a bank of questions. That system does not work with JAWS. And that firm, when I applied to them, they said, we will ask you to do 80 questions instead of 40 questions that a cited candidate uh, will be asked to complete. And I said, why would I be doing 18 instead of 40? They said, because we can't allow JAWS to pick up random questions and I did it, and obviously I did not pass the test. However, when it came to Clifford Chance, it was exactly the same test, but it was provided in a Word format, which was very accessible. I passed it, and I am where I am. Matt Britton, who leads Google across Europe, the Middle East, and Africa. One of the key things to think about when you think digital is actually small businesses. So Google provides tools You think about Google or Facebook or Amazon, but actually the engine of the digital economy is small businesses who are growing faster and exporting more because they've got a way to connect with somebody who wants their product right now. And that's a revolution. So you are personally heavily empowered across Europe, Middle East, Africa to go further in your community engagement. How would you like to really push that agenda? And is there a message that you're currently sending to your own colleagues? What would you like to see yourselves do more of? Well, I'm, I'm pleased to say that the, the programs we've done on digital skills have now become global. Sundar Pichai actually was, uh, was in uh, Germany yesterday opening our new Berlin office, but talking again about how we can help uh, people make the most of this digital revolution. So I think some of the stuff we've done in Europe has become something which we're doing uh, elsewhere. I think there's another key piece of the jigsaw, which is... Um, in the next couple of months, we reach the 50-50 moment. Uh, Tim Berners-Lee uh, talks about this in terms of the World Wide Web Foundation. Mm. The moment where, for the first time, the majority of the people on the planet are connected. And that's a huge opportunity uh, for businesses, content creators, uh, developers uh, in the UK and across Europe, uh, because they're going to have basically a doubling of the market that they can reach. Mark Price is the founder of Engaging Works, a digital platform designed to make the world a little happier. I think it comes from two bits of um, experience. First, my father, who used to preach on a Sunday, and he would drive into me, my brother and my sister, the simple thought, the straightforward thought, that everybody is equal, nobody is better than anybody else. But our task was to find out what people's strengths were and to try and um, bring those strengths out even more. And so when I went into the John Lewis Partnership, which is owned by all the people that work in it, it was the same kind of philosophy. Nobody's better than anybody else. Everybody should be treated with equal respect. Everybody has an important role to play, but everybody's role is different within the organization. The other thing that that I learned was that in the John Lewis Partnership, its supreme purpose is the happiness of everybody that worked there. And happiness isn't a woolly concept. It's sort of been hijacked in the 60s as a bit hippie. But within the 
the John Lewis partnership, it's been codified over the course of 100 years. And it really means a number of things. Happiness comes from uh, being uh, fairly rewarded and recognised when you do something well. It comes from having the information to do your job well and the information to uh, understand how the organisation is doing. It comes from feeling empowered, having responsibility to do your job and then being rewarded and recognised for doing it well. It comes from feeling that the organisation cares for you. My favourite quote of all time is Theodore Roosevelt, who said, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm. Izzy Obeng, she's the founding director of a very interesting startup indeed called Foundervine. Thanks to technology and sort of more individuals having access to a global community, young people now have the opportunity to take the reins of Africa's development. And um, I argued that there were three types of young people in particular who could do it. Uh, You had your globalists, a young person who might not be from the continent, maybe from the UK or the US, etc., who was passionate about global development. Uh, You had your repat or your returnee, someone like me who might have been born outside of the continent, um, but who understands uh, the context there as well as the context here. Um, And you have your Afropreneur, so your entrepreneur who's kind of hustling despite major challenges, including infrastructure and support. So what happens when you bring those three players together? You get a fantastic ecosystem who together can actually create a very exciting, digitally enabled economy. Richard Walker, the Managing Director of Iceland Foods, a British retailer with over 900 stores. You know, the problem with environmentalism is it can be a a very middle-class discussion. Mm. And, um, you know, Iceland is for everyone. Um, And we have, as you said, almost a thousand stores up and down the country. But actually, we also represent some some of the most deprived communities in the UK as well. And, you know, I I sort of passionately believe that we need to uh, democratise environmentalism. And, you know, just because you might only have £25 a week to spend on food, it doesn't mean you don't care about the environment and about some of these issues. And therefore, if we serve of, you know, there's four and a half million kids in poverty in the UK today, and we serve all of their families every week. Um, and, and therefore, we have the ability to use the business as a platform to engage them and their families to become better environmental guardians of whatever space they've got. Francis O'Grady, the General Secretary of the Trades Union Congress, made up of 48 different unions and almost six million members. What's been really interesting, not just in the work that the TUC and unions have done, but also organisations like the Fabian Society, was how many workers believe that they're being subject to surveillance without their consent. And that's quite big stuff, isn't it? You know, especially if you're being tracked in terms of your health, your minute to minute patterns. Uh, you know, that's that's quite that feels quite big brotherish to a lot of people yes. um, and you know and of course that plays out in the big debates that we've seen about uh, tech companies harvesting information on an industrial scale from populations using it uh, frankly politically as well as for profit um, you know that there is a growing concern and it seems to me that one of the big 21st century challenges is how do we what are our rights? What, again, you know, what are the institutions that are going to regulate these massive monopolies that have not just industrial power, but political power, for which we very often are working for free without even knowing it? Jonah Obunake, who is the CEO and co-founder of 
Love for the Streets, which is a profit-for-purpose social change platform. Customers, especially younger customers perhaps, if that fit isn't right, isn't authentic, they can smell it a mile off. Oh, completely. I think in this day and age, especially when you're talking millennials and Gen Zs, um, are quite attuned to being sold to, are quite attuned to understanding if the impact that's being created isn't actually bottom-up at the core, right? Um, They want to find a way to be involved in the solutions. They want to find a way to create impact in their local communities. And I think, especially with everything you just talked about in terms of how a lot of the uh, drives and the demands come from that bottom of the organisation is so key to everything going forward, I think. Exactly. So help me understand, Jonah, how a neuroscience student (laughs) at John Hopkins University, take me inside your brain for a start. Pleasure. Um, That's the first question, actually. What gets you out of bed in the morning and what makes you tick? Oh, easy. So for me, it's about creating as much impact as possible. Um, It really is that simple for me. Um, I started off at John Hopkins University after I finished uh, secondary school, um, planning to do neuroscience, uh, minoring in physics, pre-med, etc., etc. And I got to a point where I realised that Although I could become an amazing neurosurgeon, the impact I'd be creating would be relatively small in comparison to if I was able to, say, disrupt an industry. Julie Baker, who's head of enterprise and community finance at one of Britain's best-known banks, NatWest. We are going to be transparent as a banking industry, as financial institutions, as to what finance goes to females. This is really interesting because it sounds to me like it matters what gets measured. Yeah, it absolutely does, Ollie. We saw it with the gender pay gap, that what gets measured gets done. You know, it's total transparency across the sector and actually peer pressure comes from other institutions to get everybody signed up. And and historically, of course, with the report, uh, it has a number of recommendations. So if I could ask you to just to distill one or two of those. Yes, yes, of course. So, so one will be the banking code, which we've talked about. Um, there's another one around VC funding and we're looking at sending out, uh, I'm, I'm working with partners as well, this, but a VC fund specifically, initially for female entrepreneurs, but looking at other diverse businesses as well. And and alongside that fund will come support. So we're looking at a time fund for women, but of experienced entrepreneurs that can mentor, sponsor, open up their supply chains and their networks to help the entrepreneurs be more successful, because it isn't just about funding. Richard Iferenta. Richard is a partner at KPMG. Easiest way of making a difference is getting, first of all, sponsorship from the leadership in the business. If there's no sponsorship from leadership, in general, you can have some nice policies that say something on the intranet in some document, but in practice, you don't really move the dial in any significant way. So sponsorship from the board, from leadership is important, but actually not just sponsorship in terms of saying the right thing, but actually being active with it and doing something about it. And when I say doing something about it, I think it is quite good, and and, and this is one thing that came out of the Race at Work Charter, is having targets. Where you have targets, one of the things that does is it suddenly means the board is accountable for doing something specific. And it becomes even more compelling where those targets are published. If it's published... And you don't just mean internally, you mean externally externally as well. Absolutely. So here we have, again, another recommendation, assurance, capture ethnicity data and publicise process. And of course, for some firms, this is a risky business because in the early stages, they may be a little ashamed of what they have to share. And I actually get the point about being ashamed of your current data, but I think most success is achieved by recognising that we're not where we should be and therefore we're on a journey. And I think that journey simply means that if your ratio is very bad 
and you set a strategy to improve over the next two, three years, what you should be measuring is how much progression are you making. Christine Hodgson from Capgemini. We'll hear some advice for anyone starting out in their career or anyone in the mood for a change of career. My career's advice was from the maths teacher who said, Christine, you're good at maths, you must be an accountant. Um, as it happened, that's what, that's what did, what did materialise. But that was the sum total of my career's advice. I've seen you describe your career's advice as going into a hut at lunchtimes and picking <laughs> out a few pamphlets. And that's exactly right, probably trying to avoid the cold. And, and it was really, um, really basic. And I think now it's less about trying to say to a young person, you're good at this, so therefore you must do that. I mean, actually, we're all going to work for um, a long, long time and we're all probably going to pursue lots of different lots of different careers so really what we want to do is just open young people's eyes to the possibilities out there to show them the relevance of education and actually just excite them to excite them to go out there and explore yes so they're not dreading it not dreading it not fearing it That was the Best of the Lens 2019. Thank you to all of my guests for taking part. I have hugely enjoyed this year. And I finish with some good news. The Lens will continue in 2020. Thanks to all of our supporters, including Fujitsu and, of course, McCann and all of my colleagues at Business in the Community. So please do stay tuned. Plenty more conversations to come and I cannot wait. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Goodbye.